This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, welcome. You're here live for the next 30 minutes here with Dr. Jeff Werber on uh, the, the, the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff show here on Pet Life Radio. We're here for you, we're here for your pets. Um, answer questions, talk about anything. Um, so first things first, we've got to get to a couple of ways to get a hold of me. Number one, the good old-fashioned telephone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Better yet, you can uh, reach us here live. Join us actually live. Here on Google Hangouts. So here's what you do. You go to PetLifeRadio.com. You click on Shows. Scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And there is going to be a link. If you scroll down just a little bit, there's a big box with a Google Hangouts link. Click on it. It will bring you live here. Uh, we can see you. We can talk to you. We can see your pets, whatever the case may be. So that's the best way to join us. And, of course, you can send me a quick email to drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com. And it will be forwarded to me live as we speak. So there's really no excuse. There's no way you cannot get a hold of us. And as I've mentioned in the past, again and again, you might want to get used to this type of conversing, this type of veterinary visit, because this is the future. And we were, I'm personally working on an amazing telemedicine app, which will be working along with your own family veterinarian. So we're looking forward to launching that soon. So you'll hear more about it. But anyway, this is a great way to practice what it's like to have a, a phone on you and your and your pet, and you can ask questions, and we can sort of do a, a somewhat of an exam. Obviously, we can't touch and feel, which is so important, and it's never going to replace a thorough veterinary visit, but we can do a lot. As a matter of fact, on the human side, a study was done that said 80%, let's get this, 80% of office calls or emergencies could have been handled via a telemedicine. So that's really cool when you think about it. A lot of times, it's advice. Think about a follow-up. Your dog was in the hospital, spent a few days. Now it's just a matter of follow-up. You really need to get in a car and fight traffic and do parking. Why don't you just call and, and you can do the follow-up via the telemedicine. So that works really, really well. So anyway, speaking of travel, as you know, I like to go ahead and spend some time just going through the American Veterinary Medical Association, the American Animal Hospitals Association news briefs. And... Um, this is one that is actually by the AVMA, the American Vet Med Association. So if, if you're planning on traveling abroad with your pets, you can log on to the USDA, that's the United States Department of Agriculture, APHIS website, that's the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, and you can basically click on pet travel, and it'll give you all the new rules, especially very specific country rules, because a lot of different countries have different rules and regulations. What shots to give? When do they do? How long do they have to be done before you travel? Are they good for a year? Are they good for three years? Et cetera, et cetera. All the countries have different requirements and it can be very confusing. And I, I will tell you honestly that this information changes often so rapidly that even if you called your veterinarian, they may not know the most current and they're going to say, you know what? You need to go to the APHIS website. So that's the Animal and Plant Health Inspection services, and that's called APHIS. It's under the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. So uh, anyway, if you are planning a trip abroad, and one thing I will tell you, some countries actually require not just a rabies uh, vaccine, but rabies titers. There's only one lab in the entire country at Kansas State University, the Veteran Diagnostic Lab at K-State University, 
and they could take up to you know four to six weeks to get this. So make yourself make sure you get a plenty of time. Give yourself plenty of time, and then on top of that, once you get the health certificate completed by your veterinarian, everything is good, everything is accurate, you're ready to go. Not so fast. Now you have to go to your, the local county veterinarian. All right. Now, for example, many of your veterinarians, I am, for example, accredited by the USDA, but I am not a USDA veterinarian. I am just accredited by. So those that are accredited are allowed to sign and date, and you give the, we get an official stamp that yes, the health certificate's been completed by a USDA accredited veterinarian, but many countries also require a signature by the USDA veterinarian. So just make sure that it's all about the planning. Make sure you give yourself plenty of time because we do not want any kind of getting to the airport and them saying, oh, oh I'm so sorry, but uh, your forms aren't complete. <laughs> yeah, that's great as your flight's about to leave in an hour. Good luck. So anyway, make sure you're well prepared. So this is really not practical stuff that's coming up, but it is interesting. And, you know, when you think about it, you can't test it. At least I don't think you can. But there is a, a some people have a variant of a serotonin transport gene. I'm going to give you the gene number. You don't have to worry about it. This is not a test. Don't write it down. But it's SLC6A4. That is called the serotonin transport gene. So what happens is that because of the variant of this gene, there could be some odor change, a odor that you emit because of fear or strong anxiety, which explains why if you are lost and the police or whoever, whatever agency comes with their dogs that are trained sniffers. So what do they do typically? They give a garment, an article of clothing that is yours, and they have the dog sniff it, and then they go hunting for you. But if you're lost, you're probably pretty stressed out, and it could change your odor. So when the dogs are sniffing for you, they're not going to find you because it's not the same odor than when you're not stressed and you're wearing that shirt or that sweater or those socks, whatever the case may be. So don't get lost if you have that gene. <laughs> I have no idea how you're going to find out if you have that gene variant. But uh, as I said, it's, it's not practical information, but I thought it's pretty cool to think about that uh, when, I mean, it just tells a lot about us that odors can change, especially if you have a variant of this very, very serotonin transport gene. So um, I don't know, next time you play one of these trivial games, you can, uh, you can say, I have some trivia for you. Not a bad state bill. And that is that in Florida, and I like this one, the state Senate would penalize drivers who are interacting with their dogs or pets while driving. And it's part of a new bill. But here's what I like about it the most. Now, here in California, they have this hands-free. So, I mean, it's basically, you can't touch your phone, even if it's just to press the button to turn it on if a call's coming in. You can lean over and look for a new radio station, all right? You can see these women that are putting on their makeup, spending more time in the rearview mirror, or worse yet, in that visor mirror. That's okay, but you can't touch your phone. So near this new Florida bill, which is great, that you can't, if you're behind the wheel, you can't interact with your pets in the car. And other distractions, I love this one, Texting, well, that, duh, but also, and they actually say applying makeup. So for all you women out there or interesting men that might want to put on makeup while you're driving, don't do it because if you're in Florida, they can pull you over and penalize you. And I, you know, it's always bothered me because I got pulled over once. And not only that, not only did I get pulled over, I was actually, because I got the call and it's such a big thing here in California that I actually, I made it a right turn. The call came in and I just had the phone in my hand because I had Bluetooth and I just had to turn the thing on and I was pulling over to the curb so I can do all this. And it just so happens as I'm making my right turn, there's a cop behind me. 
And I, so here I'm doing the responsible thing. I'm just, you know, just hit the button so I can let them know. Give me a second. I've got to, I got to pull over. And I was, I was literally, he could see, I was actually pulling over to the curb to park. And that sucker jerk gave me a ticket anyway. And the fines are expensive. They're like 350 bucks. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy about this one. Maybe because it just pisses me off that you can see all these people doing a million things in the car. That's okay. But touching your phone, oh no. So uh, be careful out there. So this was also an interesting study. It was talking about bears. And I'm sure you've seen the news. There are, you know, a couple of bear sightings. It's a great little thing on, I think it's YouTube, of two little French bulldogs or Frenchie scaring a big bear away. But anyway, access to human food can disrupt the bear's hibernation patterns and foraging patterns and, interestingly, aging patterns. Now, the study didn't conclude that they live shorter lives, but it does affect their aging patterns. So what happens is bears that have free access to food all the time, human food, so then they're not hibernating. And apparently, hibernating for them is extremely essential to their long-term well-being. So when they have year-round access because of people camping and leaving their food waste around, and now the bears know that, so they're learning, they're not hibernating like they used to, and that is a problem. So um, I don't know, next time you're out there camping, make sure you throw your stuff away. Let these poor bears get their hibernating. Get them get their sleep. You know what it's like? Come on. When you are, you fall asleep. You know, they've done studies on this, that if, as soon as you hit REM, sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. If you are awakened and every time you hit REM, you're awakened and they do it again, they awaken, you're going to go nuts. So it's really important to get that sleep. Well, for a bear, it is the hibernation. It's very important for them. And while on the subject of bears, this was interesting. A yearling black bear was found in a ditch and um, it was basically near death. They uh, were able to get the bear out, save it, got it to, this is really cool, Appalachian Bear Rescue. And um, they've been working on this bear, uh, slow recovery. He's been eating and he is now, he's put on weight and their prognosis is very good. And so kind of that's a happy ending to try. How this poor bear got into a ditch, who knows? But, uh, and such a yearling, you know, usually they stay pretty close to their moms. So um, that's a, a happy ending to that story. And, um, oh, here's another one. Before we go to break, and after the break, we're going to talk about, you know, it's funny, these things happen to me in groups. And they say, you know, bad things happen in threes, good things can happen in threes, hopefully more than threes. But anyway, we're going to talk about something that, that I had an incident with and is basically around neutering dogs and a condition that we are often faced with uh, when we have to neuter. And we're going to talk about it outside as soon as we finish up our break. But before that, don't give up on your pups. So I'm, as, as many of you know, I had to put Herbie down. Herbie was my 14-year-old Frenchie. My Pierce, who is a soon-to-be 14-year-old, full-size Labradoodle, which, you know, anytime you get a big dog, especially, you know, Labrador-type dog that's, that's going to make it to 14 or 15, like in case of Grover, my last Black Lab, who we finally put to sleep at 16 and a half, getting up there is, is tough. And, um, you know, one of the bad things, I wrote this in, in a post once that, you know, it's great when you have dogs that's actually, or and cats, growing up together, sharing their couches together, jumping on the bed together. I mean, it's really wonderful, that bond that they form amongst themselves as well as the bond they form with us. But what's sad is as they get older, they end up going, leaving us or having to leave us around the same time, which is very sad. But anyway, we rescued a little pup from one of the Eloise, a rescue group that I work with. They pulled this dog from a shelter, about a seven-month-old. I showed him last. I'll, I'll bring him on the air again. He is to die for cute, but he was like, we think he's a Habapoo, 
a Havanese and a Poodle Cross. Bundle of energy. Oh my God, you should see him and my seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old Labrador. They are inseparable now. First, my lab was trying to bite that crap out of him every time he came near, the, you know, literally growling at him. And this little guy, he's got such personality. He, it didn't scare him one bit. So my dog would pick up a toy, the big one, and then this little Havapoo pup would run over, grab the toy, and they start tugging or obviously my 80 pound lab is dragging this little thing all over the house because the little one wouldn't give up on the grip on the toy. It's hysterical. And now they play nonstop. They sleep with each other. It's the cutest thing ever. But he is a vaunt. He is a pain in the behind. And I just read something that is sort of giving us some hope. And that is that studies show that it might be easier to teach middle-aged dogs, young to middle-aged dogs, newer tricks, easier than the younger dogs, little puppies. Why? Because personalities change as they grow and, and as they age, clearly. And they might be more responsive to training when they're a little older. So you want to try house training when they're little? Yes, go ahead and do it. But if you are trying to teach certain tricks or certain behaviors, don't rush it when they're little puppies. You might have better luck if you wait until they are growing up, maybe a little bit older, a little bit more receptive to being trained, and maybe a little bit smarter. So uh, anyway, that's it for the first half of our show. And don't go away. If you have any questions about anything we talked about or listen up, I'm going to talk about some neutering issues. You can get a hold of me, 877-385-8882, or join us live here. Google Hangouts. You can log in from the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff under shows under PetLifeRadio.com. We'll be back after these words. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Ferber here on Pet Life Radio. And um, before the break, we were talking about some interesting things that it kind of happened more than once. It happened actually three times this week, this past week alone. And I think when that stuff happens, it's kind of like a sign for me that we got to talk about it. All right. So there is a condition that we often have to deal with when neutering. And, um, you know, certainly things, simple things like, oh, umbilical hernias. We have to fix those. The best time to do it is when they're under anesthesia, unless they're huge and you're worried about some intestinal contents or momentum, you know, getting crushed in like a stricture as it comes out of the hole in the body wall. So those we fix, we don't want any strangulation of tissue. We fix those early, but otherwise we cannot kind of tell clients just kind of push it in. And, and when we neuter, we'll fix it. Or when we spay, we'll fix it. But there is a condition that we either call monorchid or cryptorchid. Monorchid is a dog who one of his testicles does not make it into the scrotum. Cryptorchid is where neither one makes it into the scrotum. And the answer is, so what? Well, here's some, the two areas 
where we might find this aberrant testicle. Number one is in the inguinal region. Here's what happens embryologically. They start up at the kidneys and they kind of travel down and they go through what's called the inguinal ring. And then they are supposed to go from there and settle into the scrotum. Sometimes they don't. They don't settle into the scrotum. What they do is they go through the inguinal ring and they stay somewhere in the in that inguinal area of the flank. And that is common. And it, it's not a horrendous thing. Oftentimes, the testicle never even makes it through the inguinal ring and it's somewhere in the abdomen. The problem is where? You have no idea from the point of travel from the embryologically, from the kidney down through the inguinal ring, where is it? It could be up there, high up where an ovary would be. It usually, fortunately, does travel back and it's kind of close to the inguinal ring, just didn't make it through. The problem is now we have to cut the belly open and look for it. And it's actually more difficult than a spay, in my opinion, because when you're doing a spay, you can make a small little incision and you use something called a spay hook, or you can visualize the uterus. All you need is one of the two uteri, of the horns of the uteri. And then you got the whole thing done because then you can use it as your guide. You can go, you know, you got your uterus. Now you can go up and you can, you know, towards the kidney, you pick up the ovary, you go all the way down to the body of the uterus, and then you go to the other side. So it's very easy with a testicle that is an abdominal testicle. It can be anywhere. And so it's like that needle in the haystack. It's sometimes a big challenge to find. And typically, testicles that remain inside the abdomen, meaning they're now subjected to much higher body temperatures, because when a testicle's in the scrotum, then what are we there? Except for there you know, the, the body temperatures are there. Uh, they are going to be sort of bathed in, um, subjected to, exposed to, is a ambient body temperature, 75 degrees, 80 degrees, whatever. But in the belly, in the abdomen, it's body temperature, which is about 102, 101 degrees. So that now the testicle doesn't develop properly. And over time, here's the dangerous part, the testicle can develop cancer. So that's why it's so important to get these testicles out. Not, not only that, if the testicle is in the abdomen, then the, basically, for all intent and purposes, the abdomen is not neutered. And it can still breed. And still have testosterone related issues and still have, you know, all the things that we, one of the reasons or many of the reasons why we recommend neutering in the first place. So, but here's what happens that the trait is a hereditary trait. So when you have a male dog that you know is monorchid or cryptorchid, this dog should not be used for breeding because he's going to pass that trait on strong likelihood to his offspring. Now, if a female is carrying the trait, you don't know it because there's no outward. We call it genotype, but there's no phenotype in a female. So she could be carrying it, and it could be a male carrier that is has everything is right, but he's carrying the trait from one of his ancestors, and now we have a problem. Now we have a potential for puppies. And here's what happened in this case. Two brothers, they were beautiful, adorable Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, Panda and Max, and they were both, both had umbilical hernias, and both were monorchid. Now, fortunately, one panda, the testicle was in the groin, so we're able to get it. It's an extra little incision, but you can palpate it. You can kind of see it. It's a little bulge in the groin, usually just a couple of you know centimeters in front or uh, in front of the scrotum where it should have been. And it's, it's you know, look, it's a second little excision, but it's really not that hard. But poor Max, his was in the abdomen. And boy, this testicle was misshapen. It was small. It was totally totally a bad testicle. And um, we had to find it. And then now you have to, you have a little big incision, et cetera. But think about it. How strong an argument is it that these two dogs, brothers, both had the problem. And so it kind of tells you the strong 
hereditary component of this problem, of this condition. So it's essential that these animals don't breed. Now, here was the tricky part in this case, is that it's not uncommon. It does happen. Umbilical hernias are very common. They happen a lot. But the owner uh, who bought the dogs was trying to demand from the, the breeder that the breeder cover the cost of the entire procedure, including the umbilical hernia. And it got a little ugly because my feeling is this. You're going to neuter anyway. You're going to fix hernias anyway. That's, that happens all the time. You're neutering is something you should do. And when, you, when you're going to neuter, you, you make the little extra incision. And it's not, not that expensive to fix it when you're, they're already under anesthesia. So what I often recommend is the breeder should cover the additional cost of going after the second testicle, whether it's in the abdomen, a little more expensive, or in the groin, less expensive, but that should be covered by them. So if you are a breeder and this happens, kind of shame on you because somewhere along the line, you had to have known that the male or somewhere along the line had this condition should not have been bred. Sometimes it just happens because it's in the female, you have a carrier, you don't know it, and that does happen. And so when it does happen that way, A, you should not use that same male and female ever again for breeding. And B, you really should take care of the additional fees when it comes. It's just the right thing to do when it comes to the additional fees. So what I would have you do is have the client cover the normal cost of a normal neuter and then the, the uh, extra fee. Now, it, with a flank testicle, it's very easy. I don't even, there's no more anesthesia involved because the anesthesia that they already pay for, which is up to 30 minutes, that's covered. Certainly when it comes to the abdominal testicle, it's probably going to include additional anesthesia, which is, again, something that I think the breeder should be responsible for. Now, what happens when you don't get a pet from a breeder? When you are getting it, you're adopting, which is, I think it's fantastic. Most shelters, and here's one thing that bothers me and one thing that worries me a little bit. I'll be really straight with you. When a lot of shelters that, again, they will not release a dog or a cat until it's neutered, which I, I applaud them for that. However, I don't know really, and there's no way to find out unless there's a problem down the road, whether if there is an abdominal testicle, do they truly go to the trouble of the second surgery or the additional more extensive surgery of going into the belly, actually looking for it. It is time consuming. It is more expensive. Or are they just neutering the one testicle that's there and not going after the second? Or worse yet, if the dog is a crypt orchid and the dog comes in and it's found on the street, or it is relinquished to the shelter by a former owner, and they don't feel any testicles in the scrotum, are they just going to say, oh, I I guess the dog was already fixed? In which case, now we have double trouble, (laughs) pardon the pun, because we have two testicles in the belly that actually, by exposure to excessive body temperatures over the years, can actually turn into testicular cancer down the road. So though when you think of neutering, you think of spaying, that's why, you know, it so bothers me sometimes when people say, oh, it's routine. It's routine. No, you know what? There's nothing routine about any kind of procedure because routine, any procedure needs anesthesia. And trust me, there is nothing routine when it comes to anesthesia. And as soon as we start taking that attitude, oh, simple, it's routine. That's when we're going to have problems. Uh, You have to treat whether it's an anesthesia to do a little dentistry or to remove a a, a wart or a little lipoma, a benign little fatty tumor, or whether it's anesthesia for a spay or neuter or from a huge mass or a, a bladder surgery or splenectomy. Anesthesia is anesthesia is anesthesia. As I said, most animals that have complications, it's not because of the surgery. It's because of the anesthesia. So pre-anesthetic is important. Monitoring well and post, a lot of these problems happen post-surgically. So it's very important. These animals be monitored carefully after the procedure 
whether it's, um, I like recovering our animals on the floor. And the reason I say that is because it's very hard to hurt yourself falling off of the floor. So that way, if they're on a blanket, on a bed, on the floor, and they start coming to and they start, you know, fighting a little bit, coming out of anesthesia, it's unpredictable. Every dog is different. And um, even though you're there with them, if they, heaven forbid, fall off a table, you got problems, but you can't fall off of the floor. And then after that, we after they're extubated, they go back into their cages for some monitoring, make sure they're completely sternal, they're completely up. And of course, for those of you out there that have the pushed-in face dogs, the brachycephalics, especially your bulldogs, French and English, those require extra, extra attention throughout the entire recovery process because they do have problems during and after recovery. So anyway, that's all for today. If there's any subject that you guys would like to me to discuss, if you have any questions, you can always get a hold of me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. We love getting your mail. And if there's something you want to talk about or you want me to research for you, um, just send me a note. Dr. Jeff at drjeff.com or drjeff at petliferadio.com. Either way, we'll get a hold of you. And uh, uh, those of you who do uh, follow up with me on cases that we've spoken about, I thank you. Uh, I love to, to, to you know hear how your pets are doing. So we will be here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, have a great week. Stay dry if you're in an area where it is very raining, like it is here in Los Angeles right now. Um, or uh, if it's snowing, uh, that's great. Maybe, you know, make it a positive. Like, you know, if you're dealt lemons, make lemonade, get out to a snow, do some skiing, do some snowboarding, and have a great time. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.